welcome to the Bucks Banter Podcast. I am your host, Colin Hallboom. I am joined by my co-host, Bodan Yard, and we are back after a fairly substantial hiatus, likely our longest break from the Bucks Banter Podcast. But uh, if you're going to take one, you got to do it in the off season. Uh, so this is our 78th episode, and we want to talk about Baker Mayfield, who was just named the Buccaneers starting quarterback, the first starting quarterback post Tom Brady, and plenty of other training camp observations. So we brought in an old friend, uh, J.C. Allen. He's not old, but he is a friend. He's, he's one of the OGs, one of our first guests here on the show uh, of Pewter Report. J.C.'s as plugged in as it gets. J.C., how you been, dude? Like, how's the offseason treating you, man? There's no off season when you're in it, you know. It's always there's always something going on, some news to break, articles to write, engagement to happen. But you know, busy, just staying busy. Obviously, we got the season ramping up here, training camp winding down, the last practice this week before the game, and then they start to get into game prep for for Minnesota. So um, it's wind down a little bit, but still, you know, pedal to the metal. We got a game coming up, and then roster cuts right after that, waiver wire claims. So. Uh, Football season is here, and I'm so excited it's back. For sure, and and thank God for Ira Kaufman breaking the news about uh, Baker Mayfield uh, being named the starting quarterback. Uh, I say that in jest because I think that was floated often, and it was viewed as this like breaking report. But I do want to just talk about that decision. I mean, I, it's clearly not a surprise to anyone who's been around the team and really to anyone who was on the outside looking in. I think, I think most people saw this coming. Um, how do you think the team handled it? Like, are you, do you think there was anything to them framing it as a competition or maybe it was a genuine competition? Like, how do you, how do you feel about that? I'm curious. Well, no shade to Ira at all. I just, um, you know, it is something that you meant, it was surmised right from the beginning. And it wasn't that the fact that there wasn't going to be a competition. I think Ira truly was told by his sources while he was in Canton that Baker was the guy. The problem that I have with those sources is the sources that were telling me that nothing was completed was his sources weren't the coaching staff. They were still in Tampa Bay. His coaches were more front office personnel. And while they're plugged in as anybody, and you know, again, no shade. He's been around. He knows his stuff. Um, I just don't think that that was 100% confirmed yet until we got it confirmed on Monday. Well, if some of us knew a little bit sooner than that. But um, I, I think with it, the goal was always to get the best man to win that job. Baker was always one step above, right? 69 career games. They really liked Baker last year. If Tom did retire, they were going to bring Baker in probably to be that starting quarterback. They would have been in that trade mix. Um, so they've had an infatuation with Baker over the last couple of years. Um, I think where you look at the competition factor, just look no further than where Dave Canales was last with Seattle, with Geno Smith and with Drew Locke. You know, Drew Locke had more game experience, obviously, than Kyle Trask, but the competition factor there is twofold, right? It brings out the best in people. It brings out the best in those guys. And what you're doing is if you're not 100% sold, old saying goes, you got two quarterbacks, you got none. If you're not 100% sold, Baker can bounce back pre-injury form, limit the turnovers. Well, guess what? Now you just created an environment where your number one starters have significant reps with Trask as well. If Baker needs to get pulled due to ineffectiveness, turnovers, or it gets injured, Trask is stepping in with the full confidence of that first team unit. 
uh, on offense and defense. They've both seen him. They've both played up against him on defensive side. They've worked with him on the offensive side. It's not a lost season if your number two quarterback comes in, which can be with some scenarios. It's a, we got trust. We know what he can do. We started all season. And that's another side to this, I think, equation that having this quarterback competition and battle go so long was beneficial for the team in both in the long run. Fair enough. Yeah. And I, I think like Trask, I think it's great that, you know, he showed patience, poise. He showed the ability to play within the system and take care of the football, no doubt. Uh, but those traits generally kind of like scream back up anyway. Like I feel like the ceiling's just different with Baker in the mix right. as the starter. But like you're saying, like, you know, it's beneficial for Trask to have gotten those reps with with the start with the ones and for them to have got it with him. Is that tr- Kyle Trask ceiling, though, like as a backup, you think? Or do you think? You think one day he'll get a shot if you had to kind of throw your hat in one way or the other? You know, I think when you look at Kyle Trask and the Baker comparison, right? Baker, obviously more experienced, had his best season as a pro in a similar style offense under Kevin Stefanski that's kind of branched out from that Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay scheme. So he was going to pick it up faster, and that's just one of the things that ultimately led to that decision is Baker's grasp of the playbook right now is, you know, higher than Trask's and not only that decisiveness you know you can see Trask just thinking about it just a half second uh longer than before he makes those throws but you know he's when they drafted him they said all the right things check up from the neck up you know we heard the last year deliberate learner we've heard Dave Canales talk about how Trask he asking once or twice he wants to make sure he knows it down pat I think with Trask there's an opportunity for him potentially um but if you continue to look at the quarter there's always going to be new quarterbacks coming into the draft next year is going to be a wild class with potentially up to five or six first round quarterbacks off the board so you know if i don't necessarily see another team bringing in you know at the end of his contracts and not this year but next year and say let's bring him in to compete for once if there's a situation where baker gets injured or is ineffective he plays lights out and then you know or just shows that he can do it at a high level, yet the Bucks still end up yielding a, an early-round pick and draft a quarterback of the future, um, maybe a team might look at him as someone who could be thrown into a mix of a competition. I don't think he's ever anyone's ever going to sign him as this. We liked him coming out of the draft. He's done enough to prove let's make him our starter or put him right in that battle. So, you know, it's it's unlikely that he ever gets a chance to be a starter in the league, but crazier things have happened. Look at Geno Smith, you know, and his in the route that he took. Um, but I think, yeah, career backup probably is what Trask's ceiling is right now at this point. Things can change, but right now I think backup is where he's probably going to stick for his career. It's pretty tough in the NFL right now. It feels like there's a lot of bona fide ones, so it's like a tough time to be one of those fringe starters, backup quarterbacks, because, like, where where's the spot, you know what I mean? And I feel like, uh, to JC's point, like, next year's draft we're going to see a bunch of quarterbacks come in through that as well too um there's a lot of spots that it's spoken for for not just like the next few years like a lot of like institutional quarterbacks in the nfl right now oh. right yeah, like there's even ones like people forget about like even like matt stafford you know what i mean like yeah he, he lit it up at the joint practice with the broncos day like there's just dudes there who are still good you know what i mean like there's a lot of them you're right bo um I want to talk about the team that's going to be around Baker. And I mean, um, again, because we've been off the airwaves for a little bit. We haven't hit on the Russell Gage injury and like prayers up for Russell Gage, man. That dude's dealt with some blows like since signing in Tampa, he gets that that big deal. And it has just been injury after injury. This one, of course, 
you know, going to sideline him for the entire season. So you hate to see it, uh, no doubt. And he, and uh, football-wise, he was going to be a big part of this team. I think he had a lot to prove this year. Uh, but that's stuff we all already know. What I'm curious to get your input on, JC, is who's got the beat on this third receiver role, um, the slot receiver, whether or not they – now are going to feel obligated to put Godwin in there? Is it Devin Tompkins? Like, what, how are you seeing the receiver room shake out? Because that's an in- intriguing battle. Um, anyway, with some of the young talent that we've seen, guys like Rakeem Jarrett, um, Trey Palmer, right? Big game Trey, whatever they're calling him. Like, um, what, are, what are your thoughts, man? Like, what, what do you see happening there? How are they going to fill the void for, for Russell Gage? Yeah, so I think, obviously, Evans and Godwin are 1A, 1B, right? But I think you're going to see a lot more movement um, than they wanted to with Godwin. I think they really wanted to play him on the outside mostly and have him stay out of the slot. Um, but now you'll probably see him a little bit more in the slot than they would have liked to have him in there. But he'll still get plenty of reps outside as well. As far as replacing Gage, it's not going to be any one player. Don't expect any one player to be that guy. They have a, a, a bunch of guys that they feel really confident in. Obviously, Trey Palmer is one of them. Uh, Devin Tompkins has been nothing but outstanding throughout camp. Even with his small stature, his ability to go up and get it is just unbelievable. Um, Tompkins David, is a G man. Shout out Devin Tompkins. That guy's nasty. Great. I want to see him get. I want to see him get run, man. Like I want to see him yeah. with the, when the lights are on. He's earned it. He's going to. I think they're all going to. I think uh, at this point, I think Raheem Jarrett is probably going to make the team uh, with the bonus, the signing bonus they gave him, with what he just showed in just the second half alone. Um, And I think probably David Moore is your other guy. I think those are your six wide receivers, and they'll all see playing time. I think they're all rotating. It's going to be a wide receiver three by committee. They're going to run a lot of 12 personnel. If you saw the unofficial depth chart, you know, for this week, you saw that it went from the first two weeks had three wide receivers listed. This week had two wide receivers, two tight ends. So expect to see a lot of 12 personnel as well. Establishing that run game is going to be really important to this Bucks team this year. Um, so you're going to see, you know, a, a bunch of different personnel groupings. The thing that I love about Canales' offense is doesn't matter what personnel grouping they're in, they have ways to 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 make any type of personnel grouping out there look like it's something different. They can run any any play out of whatever package they're in you know whether that's with the running backs they have with a sean tucker with a chase with a rashad white splitting them into the slot splitting them out wide movement like that causing motion um pre-snap movement all that stuff is going to be utilized hugely in this offense to really kind of confuse defenses and saying okay well we saw this on tape last week out of this personnel but now they're now they have the ability to call something completely different out of that personnel to catch defenses off guard so uh that includes the wide receiver position there's going to be multiple guys rotating in and out getting their snaps getting there uh talking to some of the some of the guys in there you know these guys are hungry told them let them eat and i think they're going to eat this season yeah and like what a breath of fresh air that'll be to see some diversity in terms of the types of looks the offense is going to give you right that's canalis <laughs> thing right it's not complexity in terms of the actual route trees or the things that they're running or even the scheme, it's more how you're disguising it in different looks, right? right. To keep the, the defense on their, their heels. So, correct. Uh, I, with Tom I really... Brady, so I was going to say, with Tom Brady, as great as he is, he's one of his, his work with his wide receivers are one of the most complex that the league has ever seen. I mean, you have different looks based on the lineup, the coverage that you're getting at the line, the coverage that at the top of your route to, 
to to change your route to a certain way to the pressure like as a wide receiver and that's why you never saw any Patriots rookies like really shine through just because of what Brady demands out of those guys this is going to be a completely different thing where they're going to utilize you know all sorts of different pre-snap motion different looks different things to get these guys open you've heard mike evans i haven't been open in this forever you know going to face far yeah. less double teams working out of the slot it's gonna be really creative it's gonna be fun to watch it's not gonna be anything like the last three years yeah i hope so i hope we're not all blinded just because of the inept offense we've been subjected to over on, under byron leftwich and like that actually comes to fruition oh. like in the regular season, you know what I mean? That's my only fear. It wasn't It wasn't so much that it was inept. It was that if you don't have the correct players to run it with, then it's it's becomes easily figure easy to, to, to defend and easy to figure out. You know, when they had Gronk and A B in there, you can't cover everybody. So it makes it mm-hmm. you can play best on best when you have a full start of last year, depleted offensive line, depleted, you know, in the tight end position, like you didn't have five potential Hall of Famers at skill positions, you know, so it made it mo- much more difficult. And the ineptitude was just not changing it, not figuring out, okay, this isn't working. My guys can't just go out there and win best on best. How do I aim them open? How do I make it better? And that's something that Canals is going to bring in droves. Fair enough. That's a, that's a good distinction you made there but the the inability to change is what just drove me and every other bucks fan on the planet up the wall um talking about canalis and his system lots of 12-man personnel that's a staple in seattle here's a concern i have jc and that is this team being far too dependent on what i consider a very shallow tight end room at least what they've done so far right like that's a big leap you're expecting from kate otten and there's no doubt he has the tools to do it uh, but let's not forget, he was still a fourth-round pick, right, last year. He, last year, Cole Keith, another rookie. You got David Wells, and then you got Payne Durham, a rookie this year. Um, I have concerns about about that group being able to shoulder the load. I mean, is there? can you play devil's advocate here for me, JC, and calm me down a little bit? I can a little bit. I'm a fan. I was drafted as a second-round draft pick. Never really quite lived up to the expectations of the draft pick, right? Uh, you look at what that Seattle tight end room did last year, over 102 catches, you know, combined. And you look at the guys on there, Will Disley, Colby Parkinson, none of those guys jump out to you. None of them scream out. Disley's been all right in fantasy, and that's the only reason you know his name because he's had a couple of good fantasy games, scoring multiple touchdowns, right? Otherwise, no one would know who Will Disley is. Um, so it's not necessarily about – the the guys in there, I think it's a, a more about the system and how they're um, how they're schemed to make impact on this team. And I think Kate and if he can give you what this will give, which was he came pretty clear, you know, around 50 catches, 500 yards, you know, somewhere around there. I don't think that's so out of the realm of possibility for Kate Otten. Uh, especially he's had a full off season to work on his body, get bigger. I think David Wells is someone they really like, even though he's been in the league, he's 28 years old. You know, it hasn't really had much game experience, but they like his blocking and receiving ability. Payne Durham, we've already seen what he can do in the red zone, you know, in the last game against the, uh, in the, against the Steelers. Um, you know, it's just a big body in the red zone. And Co-Keith is going to be your jack of all, you know, your H-back slash fullback slash, you know, blocking tight end special teams ace. So, you know, with that foursome there, I think they have enough depth and enough ability to 
utilize, especially in the red zone, utilize them in certain situations. And, you know, you saw K-Dotton out there with Trask, you know, he had, what, three catches? All of them went for first downs on third down conversions or two of them went for third down conversions. So, you know, I think they'll be fine there. I understand the lack of depth. The youth is concerning. But if you look at the landscape of the league, really, I mean, name the top 10 tight ends and that 10th tight end, you're kind of struggling. You're like, there's a couple guys that you could put in that spot because none of them really deserve it. That's a great point, man. Like anyone who plays fantasy knows, like if you don't grab like the top three tight ends, you're kind of shit out of luck. You might as well wait. Right. So. Right. uh, Committing. Yeah. It's a valid. valid Gerald Everett, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We talked about the game. Sorry, Bo. Go ahead. You have some? <laughs> no, I just like Gerald Everett. Oh, right. Oh, my bad. <laughs> Gerald Everett last year. Bo is irrationally like a huge Gerald Everett supporter. It's like a, it's like a I'm just I'm I'm waiting for his big breakout every season, yeah. basically. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> we talked about the gauge injury. JC, man, you've been you've been closely monitoring how Ryan Jensen walks dating back to this time last year. <laughs> okay like again anyone listening to this knows the whole timeline but like i couldn't get over last year even but like i didn't really create any sort of fuss about it about how how opaque the buccaneers organization has been in terms of unveiling any details about the injury whatever he ended up coming back he opted not to have surgery on details that we found out from him not even from the team at any point and he unveils like PCL, ACL, like bone fragments. Like it sounds horrific, like a potential career ender. Anyway, he uh, he bypasses surgery on on like the fifth opinion. It sounds like plays that game. Obviously, it was a shell of himself, but that's like how, how could you blame him for that? Like he, you know, he's a warrior. That's Ryan Jensen. Um, yeah, exactly. And I respect him for that. But this is getting a bit bizarre here. Like we're all just having to kind of read the tea leaves, like. What the fuck's going on, JC? Like, is this bad? Like, is this like, is this, is he done? Because it sure as hell doesn't look like he's going to be ready week one versus Minnesota. Yeah, I think, definitely think he's an IR candidate, you know, to start. The, he'll, he'll have the first four games, uh, have, he'll have to sit out, and then he'll be eligible by week five to come back. Um, you know, the good news is, is you went through this last year, right? So, you know, Hainsey can do it. Now, is Hainsey going to bring that demeanor that Jensen brings, that attitude, that, toughness no he's not he's not the same player um but you know you at least have have someone there who's got experience starting a full game season even though he's only got experience with one of those guys who's going to be a starter you know kind of count luke uh get a to to an extent but um you know baker's had has been taking snaps from him and leverett all off season so you have to feel comfortable a little bit in that Obviously, having Ryan Jensen out there, if he's able to be that guy, is certainly something that you'd want to have. Um, but, I mean, it's a serious injury. You, you gotta kind of have to take your time with it. When he's ready, when he feels he's ready, when he gets cleared that he's ready, he'll be out there. I mean, you, if you don't think Jensen wants to be out there, you're losing. You're, you're out of your mind. He wants to be out there with his boys. At this point in time, though, it's just, you know, they have to – play that waiting game. So could he be done for his career? Maybe. I don't think so though. I think we would have already got an announcement on that. Okay. But then why was he cleared to play six months ago? Like by the question. It's a million dollar question, right? 
Like you have doctors who are paid for this. Like, I'm sorry, as much as I respect Jensen's desire to go out with Tom Brady, you simply yeah. cannot allow it then. And like you I said, I kind of feel like it's T it's T B twelve, right? Like Yeah, like I, that's like, the only thing that makes sense in my head. But to override medical clearance, like even for Tom Brady, that just feels it just there's something strange going on. And them being oh, so they're them refusing to communicate anything. Like, give us an update. Like, status uh, quo. like did he have a yeah, status quo? Exactly. The famous two words from Todd Bowles. Um oh, but give, like, was it a setback? Is this is it more complicated than we initially envisioned? Like, I, I believe as it, some spokesperson for the team put the damn doctor up there. Someone should have to speak speak to this because it's not really fair to leave everyone in the dark. I don't think. I mean, if he's hurt, he's hurt. That is what it is. Mm. But why you protect? Like, what is being? I don't know. It's just I, yeah, I it's just why. It, it's just one of those things. It's kind of like what uh, Chase. Um, what's his name? Uh, What's the dude from the Bengals? I want to Jamar call him Chase. Chase. Jamar Chase. I call him Chase Jefferson, but that's not right. Jamar Chase <laughs> said about he said it about Joe Burrow. I'd rather see him week five. You know, I'd yeah. rather him yeah. heal up and see him week five. And I think this is the type of situation the Bucks are in. He's he's doing all the walkthroughs. He's got the installs down. It's not like he's not in the meeting room. It's not like he's not doing the walkthroughs. He's just not out there in pads. In, in camp and and while that can be frustrating for sure especially not getting that in injury information you know jensen is not a guy i don't think that needs to he i don't think he needs a ramp up period i think you know when he's ready to go he'll ramp himself up and he'll be able to go um and you'd rather have him from weeks you know because you have the bye week in week after week four you'd rather have him from week six on then have him suffer a setback in those first four games. You know, you pull him off the IR after the fourth game. He gets that full two weeks to prepare for game game six for the sixth or game five, but week six. Um, and, and there, you know, now he's back and the line is gelling, and your your depth just gets even that much better on the offensive line with Hainsey going back to the bench. So, you know, it's just what they're going to uh, what they're going to do. And I do love Hainsey, and I think his performance last year, switching positions, guys switched positions three times, like dating yeah. back to college. I thought he played really well last year. So I completely am with you on that. Um, but, you know, I think the biggest setback was was Jensen playing in that game, and only the medical professionals knew. But I got I to gotta get over that. I just hope Jensen's all right, and I hope we get some clarity in terms of what's going on. But I think I've made right, that abundantly clear. Yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Canty, Kalaja We haven't got a look at him, but it seems like he's trending in the right direction. He was out there today. Um, I'm really excited to see him play, man. I got to say, and I, I want to kind of tie this to Logan Hall, Hall's underperformance, at least like that last preseason game. I think people were expecting um, that to be the type of opportunity where he could kind of show us some of the juice that got made him the Buccaneers' first pick in that draft. Uh, we certainly didn't see it, and I'm curious – First off, like, it, is Cansey going to be ready to rock for week one? And what are your expectations for Logan Hall this year, whether Cansey's good for week one or not? Yeah, I think Cansey should be fine for week one. We're seeing them start to kind of ramp back up. He doesn't have a brace or a sleeve or anything like that. Um, I think Cansey's going to be fine. You know, talking to Logan Hall before he spoke today, he told me for, you know, for a minute that Cansey is head and shoulders where, above where he was when he came in. Um, just kind of, you know, 
uh, as far as an understanding understanding of the defense wise. Uh, he again, he's another guy. He's doing all the walkthroughs, getting all the installs. He's in the meetings. He's got the physical attributes. I think he's going to be fine to step in. Will there be some growing pains um, first couple weeks of the season? I think the whole team's going to have some growing pains. You know, uh, especially you know defensive line with a couple new starters, offensive line obviously with a bunch of new starters, new system, etc. But and I I think he'll be fine. He's gonna he's got that speed athleticism that can make up for some mistakes, right? When you're that quick, when you're that fast, when you're that strong, you can kind of fall back on your athletic traits, um, even if you don't have everything down. But from what I'm hearing, he is a very bright individual, and he has got this defense down very well to the point where we know how difficult Todd Bowles. I mean, she drops Vita Bay in coverage, for Christ's sakes. So we know how (laughs) difficult Bowles' defense can be to grasp, right? Um, So – you know, for him to have that good of an understanding from what I'm hearing from, you know, not just players, but other people in the building, I, I have no no con- real concerns about him other than just knocking the rust off, right? As far as Logan Hall, I think need to kind of, people need to kind of temper their expectations. Um, the last two preseason games, their preseason games, he did get a pressure uh, against Zach Wilson. Um, but I, I, I think – Logan Hall's out there next to Greg Gaines and nothing on Greg Gaines. He's not next to Vita Vea. You know, he's not with the starters out there. Um, It's a little bit easier to pay attention to one of your best players on the field when you're going with a bunch of, with one starter and a bunch of backups to make sure you, you game plan or not even game plan because you're not game planning in the preseason, but emphasizing we got to stop Logan Hall, you know, let Greg Gaines beat us. Let Mike Green beat us. Don't let Logan Hall beat us, you know. He's uh, yeah. he was almost the first round pick for a reason. We need to make sure that we're stopping him and not letting it, letting him hurt us if he's going to be starting. It's almost like the JTS treatment last year. A lot of people obviously JTS needs to finish. He knows that. We've talked about that. Um, but at the same time, when Shaq goes out and you put Anthony Nelson across from JTS, where do you think they're lining up their tight end? Where do you think yeah. they're positioning their running back on Anthony Nelson's side? Or Joe Tryon Shrinkers' side. So I think the kind of same thing applies to those first two preseason games. Hall's bulked up. He's got a better understanding of not just his position, the defensive line and the defense as a whole. And I think that's going to help him, especially when he's up next to Vita Vea, you know, with Shaq or JTS on, on his on, on his right hip. He'll be uh, – there'll be a lot more to worry about for defenses other than just stopping Logan Hall and, you know, not worrying about Mike Green when it's Kalaja Kansi and Vita Vea. Plus it's going to help too. I mean, you've got to remember the whole point of getting – Elijah Cansey was to help the edge guys, and that's including Logan Hall with his speed and and his ability to get after the quarterback. You know, you push that quarterback, you push that pocket in the middle. Quarterback's got to he's got to move to the left to right, and the hope there is with Cansey's speed, Vea's uh, speed, and their strength and athleticism that they'll be able to push that pocket in the middle, forcing that quarterback to make a decision: Do I go right towards Joe Tryon-Shrinka? Do I go left towards Shaq and Logan Hall? And hopefully key there is that these guys are going to be right there with open arms like Jerry waiting to sack them. Speaking of uh, Shaq Barrett, how did he look to you? Because I'm hearing I'm hearing pretty good things like coming off a ruptured Achilles tendon, but did you, did he pass the eye test for you or still working his way back, JC? I think he's fine. You know, yeah. I don't I with Achilles, one of the biggest things is you're looking for loss of athleticism and speed, burst. 
I haven't seen that. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> he's, a guy depend- he's a guy who depends on that speed too, though, right? So that's why. Right. So, you know, I, one of the things too that he that he's worked on a lot is technique as well, just refining technique. Um, you know, when you're not playing too a lot of the time, that's the first thing you lose, you know, is your technique. So you have to, I mean, Jamel Dean talked about this is, you know, when you're, when you're not playing, you got to brush up on your technique. And with him coming off that Achilles, you know, and, and turning the corner on 30, you know, he's going to have to rely more on his smarts, his technique, his ability to set guys up, his ability to uh, have a pass rush plan where he's setting guys up throughout the game to be able to capitalize on certain looks, certain instincts where he's going to come across your body, come across your body, come across your body, then boom, spin move. Guy's not ready for it because he's ready for you to come across his body. That's going to be important for him as he gets older in his career is to be able to set these guys up to expect one thing, and then when they're expecting it, do something else, and that's going to get him a free lane to the quarterback. So I think, you know, that's something he's worked worked on. I'm not worried about I'm not worried about the edge rushers, either of them. I'm not worried about JTS. I'm not worried about Shaq. I'm not worried about Anthony Nelson. He's steady Eddie. He's going to do what he do. He's not going to give you anything flashy, but he's going to be a presence there. Not worried about Yaya. You know, he's going to get it. I think it might take you know some games to get under his belt, some rotational slap snaps. But the one, one of the one positions uh, on this team I'm not worried about, um, other than starting secondary, because secondary depth scares the hell out of me, um, is the edge rush. I think they're fine. I think it's a deep enough group, and I think they all um, are going to take a big step, especially with Coach Edwards there, who's obviously done wonderful things with Micah Parsons and you know Jared Allen down the line before that. I even think Jason Light's done a f- fantastic job with the whole D line. Like I really like the depth that they've got there, and the combination of veterans and then youthful guys. Like we're talking about JTS being similar to Logan Hall, which is a very apt point like there are a lot of comparisons there in terms of how the fan base is reacting or expecting maybe too much from them but i feel like one of those guys is going to pop and like i, th- I think yeah. at some point you know what i mean like they're not both going to be strikes and then they, i don't know the thing about jts too is a lot of people forget that when he was a rookie he was a playing out of position and b splitting time with jason pierre paul who was borderline useless battling like a neck injury <laughs> an arm injury yeah. so he didn't get a chance to play last year was his and he sat out all of 2020 because of covid so yeah. you know last he year really was his played first in college start, like right injury, last year was yeah. his first year starting you know at his natural position and then Shaq goes down so now all the emphasis and pressure is on him now he's yeah. got to do better at rapping he's got to do better at finishing um, because he let off, he had four sacks, probably let four or five go. And he knows that I've spoken to him personally. He knows that. And he's been working his ass off to have that, you know, to take care of that. Now we have to see it. You got to prove it. Talk all you want. Just like everything on this team. There's a lot of talk on this team and it's a lot of things to be positive about if all this talk goes well. But at the end of the day, all these guys, JTS, you know, the offense, everybody, they got to prove it. You know, you got to put your money where your mouth is and walk the walk for after you talk the talk. So it'll be interesting. But if they can, if they strut, boy, they they could be strutting to a nice little, you know, 11-win season, wrap up the division, and maybe a surprise win in the playoffs. Ooh. I mean, I think that's this, team's, that's this team's ceiling. Now their floor is, you know, top 10 pick. I won't go as high as five, but top 10 pick easily. Now – I don't want to keep you here all night, but I have a couple more things I want to get your quick takes on, if you don't mind, before we let you get out. I don't have anything called quick takes. You know that. I'm a rambler, but I'll try my best. (laughs) I'll try to keep you around. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, It looks to me like D. Delaney has established himself as a starting nickel for this team um, when when 
they got five DBs out there. Do you agree with that? Or like, I know like this is where the lack of depth begins, right? In the secondary that you spoke about, which along with the right side of the starting O-line, I would say are the two biggest concerns for me coming into this year, like unproven nature of that or the lack of depth beyond those starters. What do you, what do you think? You know, you got Izian. I don't know if I even say his name right. Christian Izian, who was a guy they talked about a lot um, out of Rutgers as like a guy who could be in the mix there. Yeah. Um, D. Delaney had, and I know it's preseason, but he looked he looked sharp against the Jets in that preseason game. Like he was flying around. He's very familiar with Todd Bowles' defense, and you know that matters a lot to Bowles and just a familiarity amongst those other guys back there, um, the the corners anyway, and Antoine. Like, what do you think? You think it's, it's going to be Delaney's job to start? It's so funny when we talk about D. Delaney because remember two years ago when he first made the team, we're like D. Delaney, what the hell are you yeah. doing, Bruce? You know, yeah. and now he's worked himself into probably one of the most valuable player. He's probably the fifth most valuable player in that secondary because of his ability to play outside corner, ability to play nickel corner, and where he got his interception at. You know, people see Odido in cornerback. He was playing safety when he got his pick. Um, You know, and his second one that got reneged, he was at safety too. Um, So he can play all those positions. So if you, when you look at D Delaney, could he, they really like Christian Isian. He could definitely be the starter at nickel, but I don't know if he's their ultimate insurance policy because we just talked about the depth, right? You got Zion McCollum, who, you know, has definitely taken a big step after him. The depth behind him is just is not there. It's not there. You're going to probably have an undrafted free agent or Anthony Chesley in that fifth spot unless they find someone on waiver wires. What about Merriweather? What about well, Kevon Merriweather? Safety, yeah. Kayvon Merriweather, Christian Indian, two undrafted guys. Nolan Turner probably is back on the practice squad if I if I would, you know, I would think just because he's not that great of an athlete. You know, he's good. He's he's shown up in, in training camp in red zone. He's made a couple of interceptions in red zone. He's just not that great of an athlete. He doesn't have great coverage range. He's good on special teams, but that's pretty much all he's gonna provide for you. And he's not if he's gotta go into a game for any meaning, meaningful snaps, then yeah, you're worried about it. So I think you look at this secondary and you could have at least three undrafted guys making the team, which is kind of like scary. So the thing is they want Christian Izian to win this job and really take it over. I think you will see him with the first team reps on Saturday. Um, if he can hold his own against uh, the Ravens first team, you know, their slot corner, I think it was Rashad Bateman, their slot corner over there. I'm not sure. Um, but he'll have every opportunity to go up against um, them and if he falters, if he shows that he can't prove it, they know they have Delaney to fall back on. But being able to utilize you, you, with D, with D, it's do you want to lock him in in that starting nickel position, or do you want to have him as that ultimate reserve who can play outside? If because remember, everyone in that secondary, Antoine Winfield, Jamel Dean, Carlton Davis, they've all missed time at least one game over the last three years, you know? Oh, yeah. So do you want to lock him into that position and not give Izzy that ability to grow in that position um, as your nickel and then be kind of screwed with a guy who's got zero game reps? Um, Or do you want to hold on to D Delaney and use him as the ultimate insurance policy and then plug him in there if you have to, if Izzy really falters? So I think that's their plan with him. Yeah, the value the value is there for that versatility piece, right? That's why he's here, he's still here now. So you know, Bulls wants to keep him in a role like that. Um, RB two, man, I'm hoping it's Sean Tucker. I'm hoping it's Sean Tucker kind of takes over that that second string running back position. What percentage chance do you give that of actually happening? 
And what would you do if it, if you were the the coach? By the end of the season, 100%. I think yeah. Sean Tucker will be RB2 by the end of the season. I think for, for right now, to start the season, they'll probably roll a chase just because he's looked sharp in camp. He's dealing, he's a little banged up right now, but nothing that should keep him out of Minnesota week one. But I think they'll they'll go with Chase as the, as the guy right now, and eventually throughout the season, Tucker will overtake him. Um, the odd man out, I think, is probably going to be Keyshawn Vaughn. I mean, we yeah. were just discussing that. Um, you know, Scott Reynolds' uh, 53-man roster prediction came out, and he's only got the team keeping three running backs. Um, you know, Keyshawn Vaughn, he doesn't do much on special teams. He does play one or two units. Um but he just hasn't looked great. He doesn't. He's not a thumper back, and he doesn't have the speed like the other guys do to really excel. I think in the mid to wide zone offense, he started off as RB two coming in. He was quickly replaced by Chase Edmonds, and I think with Sean Tucker's ability and what he's shown even behind an even porous line, I think he's quickly you know gonna have has overtaken him as RB three. So do you keep Keyshawn Vaughn at RB4? Do you open it up for another spot and try to stash him on the practice squad or, or, or a guy like Patrick Leard or who's got game experience and was with the team last year or Ronnie Brown? Maybe you keep both of them as developmental guys. So um, Sean Tucker, RB3 to start the season, RB2 to end the season. Okay. I like it. Chase McLaughlin is Ryan Suckup's successor. Yes, now this sir, guy, yeah. how interesting is this? I don't know if you knew this. He he entered the draft. He went undrafted in just 2019. This will be McLaughlin's 10th team. Yeah. He's bounced around quite a bit. And that and that's not even including a second stint he had with Minnesota. So he played he played for the Vikings and signed him twice. Um why are you concerned about the fact he hasn't been able to stick despite 10 different franchises? Like um no, because I think I he's think what he showed a lot. Yeah, he's a kicker. And I think what <laughs> I mean, they tend to bounce around a lot. But, yeah. um, you know, Justin Tucker's are few and far between. But I think he showed the ability last year to be consistent, right? Two questions. Okay, he was playing inside the dome, and his consistency from the from deep was great. But, you know, those shorter kicks, you know, he missed a few of them. So, um, you know, when it becomes between, you know, a you know, hot rod, uh, you know, Blankenship like over yeah. there or, or Chase McLaughlin. I think they made the right choice. McLaughlin definitely has a stronger leg. He's got a lot of confidence. He's kicked in a lot of places, kicked in a lot of environments. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm fine with it. They had to get rid of suck up, you know, suck up just wasn't doing it. He was good up close, but he really, you know, was nothing past 40 yards. So they had to, they had to upgrade that. I don't think there was a kicker in the draft worth a draft pick or, anything like that. So I'm fine with it. You know, I'm sure he'll miss a few and fans will act like it's the end of the world. And the, the you know, the curse of Matt Bryan has come back around, but you know, we'll see. I, I, I think it was a, the right move with the kickers they had on the roster. I'm more surprised they kept a long snapper on the team, backup long snapper throughout all of camp than anything like True, a yeah, backup long snapper, you know, yeah, no offense funny. to Deckers, but Hey, normally you just scoop one up when you need one, a backup. Right um okay jc you've been very generous with your time my dude and i appreciate it i can't let you get out of here without one more though mm-hmm. i gotta ask how nice does it feel to be interviewing a guy with the energy enthusiasm of dave canales i mean you and byron Leftwich have a storied history with one another you got one of the best sound bites <laughs> he's ever dropped man and uh appreciate you for it i love that uh how, how are you enjoying inter- your inter- interactions with dave canales mm. 
Dave is absolutely amazing person. Uh, take away the coaching aside. I know you look, listen to every one of these guys and it's all the same. I love coach Canales. I love didn't coach he Canales. You, he gave you guys like an hour hit on Peter report. Uh, he did. I listened yep. to that. It was a fantastic interview yep. by the way. You know, and it's always thought out. It's detailed, sometimes a little too much detail. Um, but you know, he's just not only is he an awesome coach, the players love him. The players, I've actually gotten to spend time with him a little bit too. Um, and he's just a great man too. So um, really excited to, to, to further cover him, get to know him a little bit more um, and just uh, see what his offense could do. Cause I think if uh, everything clicks, you know, he might be a hot commodity. Yeah. Let's hope so, man. Let's hope he can resurrect two quarterbacks careers. Like if he does it with Baker, like oh, he did with man. Gino team's going to be clamoring for him. That's for sure. Fair enough. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. But you could be as good of a – you know what? Good guys have walked the plank before back on those pirate ships, let me tell you. So if he doesn't <laughs> – if, if it doesn't go into action and translate on the field, you know, then who Absolutely. knows what will happen. But I hope Fire it does. I hope it does. JC, thank you for your insight, my dude. And yeah. for – if you don't know – if you're not following JC Allen on Twitter, you're stupid and you should. At JC Allen NFL uh, – constant covering the beat reporting for pewter report doing a fantastic job same with the rest of those guys over at pewter report you can catch my work at bucksgameday.com sports illustrated's only website dedicated specifically to covering the tampa bay buccaneers follow bo on twitter while you're at it at bonos ball and uh, please make sure to like and subscribe to the podcast to get more access to great insight from great guests such as jc allen till next time folks talk to you soon go bucks